Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Mona Balog, MD. It is quite an interesting interview and I believe you are going to love it. She authored a book called How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room. And the subtitle is Master Your Health and Find Joy in Life by Balancing the Power of Your Mind, Your Body, and Your Higher Self. And let me tell you, we are really going to get into it today. In fact, Dr. Mona Balog is not only going to tell us about her philosophy and how she came about it, but she's actually going to lead us through a guided meditation, which is a real treat. Having spent 27 years as an emergency room physician in California, she has quite a great deal of experience in Western medicine, obviously, but she has a great deal of interest also in Eastern philosophies. A little bit about her before we get started. She is a retired emergency room physician. She received her medical degree at the Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, Texas. Her residency was completed in the emergency medicine department at the well-known Los Angeles County General Hospital near downtown Los Angeles. It's notable proximity to South Central Los Angeles, and she was serving an underserved population that often arrived in the emergency room without resources for medical care. She also offered her medical expertise as a volunteer for the Flying Samaritans, whose mission is to deliver free health care to those lacking access in Baja California, Mexico. In her early career, she ended up in Kaiser Woodland Hills Medical Center in the San Fernando Valley near Los Angeles, where she practiced as an ER doc for many years. Over time, she came to regard the practice of medicine as a true art and learned that even simple lifestyle changes can directly impact patient outcomes, probably because of what many would agree to be a wise approach, Dr. Balog became interested in alternative medicine midway in her career after attending an addiction medicine seminar. This passion led her to study on holistic approaches to health. She pursued other therapeutic modalities that could complement evidence-based Western medicine. Since then, she has studied both formally and informally acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, energy medicine, herbal and homeopathic medicine. Her interest in treating and helping the most resistant of patients, the quote, frequent flyers, led her to write this book. She lives with her husband, Andre, an artist and musician in Chatworth, California, and is enjoying her children and grandchildren. Now, Dr. Mona Balog has such a range of experience, from Western medicine emergency room doctor to studying so many alternative modalities. I really believe you're going to enjoy this interview. Before we get there, let me just tell you a little bit about what I'm up to. I recently released my first online course, nearly three hours of videos for parents of young adults. What do we do now? Also known as parenting adult children. You can check out the link in the show notes. Also, for all of you psychology clinicians out there, I am now officially partnered with EMDR Training Solutions. Becoming trained in EMDR therapy will really bring your practice to the next level. In fact, many therapists have told me that they were starting to get burned out when they discovered EMDR therapy, and it made them really love practicing again. And I can tell you, the results you're going to get with your clients when you have EMDR therapy as one of your modalities are just going to amaze you, as they've amazed me many times. 
Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about EMDR training solutions at the end, but let me just emphasize this. I'm going to have their link in the show notes with a special code that you can use. Right now, you can get the basic training over two three-day weekends. Many other trainings are spread over the course of three weekends or five days intensive, requiring more days of vacation. So this is for your working clinician, two three-day weekends. The average price of most trainings uh, for part one and two is about $1,500, and then you have 10 hours of consultation on top of that, about $500 to $700, plus you really probably still need to buy books and other training materials. Uh, Most people are leaving uh, EMDR trainings at about a $2,000 plus price tag. The great thing about EMDR Training Solutions at this moment is that they actually have the lowest price tag that I have found at $1,350. Not only do you get your EMDR basic training certificate plus digital materials, a preparation course, and marketing materials, they're also including the consultation hours. Um, So that is really awesome. And they have a great staff. A lot of them have actually been professional trainers, not just clinicians who um, rose up in the EMDRIA ranks. They have really interesting ways to break it up with stories and they're entertaining and they have videos and they have breakout groups and they encourage active participation and uh, it's not dry and boring so you're really going to love it if you train with them Uh, right now if you use the code intentional at checkout uh, that's the name of my show intentional clinician but just Type in the code intentional. It will actually help sponsor this podcast. Uh, Later, at some point, it will actually be a discount code. But right now, they're discounted so much that uh, that code just actually helps me out. But I would really appreciate it. If you want to know more details, the links will be in the show notes uh, for EMDR training solutions. All right. That about does it for what I'm up to. And let's get to the interview. Welcome, Dr. Mona Balog, to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. So I'm very excited to talk about uh, all of the things that you've got to share about your time uh, as an emergency room doctor and, of course, your book, How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room, um, which I love that title. (laughs) And yes, so I'm excited to learn and I guess... Maybe a little bit, I'm going to be, you know, reading your bio and things, but I would like to know just a little bit about your background, as I know you had 27 years in an emergency room as a doctor. Right. Um, So if you could tell us a little bit just about, you know, how you got into medicine and how that, you know, how was that experience of working in an emergency room, just a little bit on the top level? Um, Not to sound silly, but basically I was born to be a doctor. (laughs) My my dad was a professor of pharmacology, um, uh, at first at Columbia University, then in, in Houston, where I actually grew up. And um, <clears throat> he, 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 being Jewish, was not able to get into medical school. And he always wanted his kids to uh, go, become doctors, like he wanted to become. So um, my sister and I both became doctors. She became a psychiatrist. I became an ER doctor. Um, so that's the silly answers that I was born into it. Um, but, uh, I've always been interested in, in, uh, human beings and interacting with humans. Um, and then ultimately in, in helping humans become 
better, healthier, whatever it is, because that's how I grew up. Oh, that's great. I love that answer. And um, we were talking a little bit before the podcast uh, that you wrote this book a few years ago, it sounds like, after an experience of meditation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, okay. So in 2017, I uh, actually spent a week, uh, 10 days in a Vipassana retreat. And Vipassana meditation, the word means seeing things as they really are. Um, There are centers around the world, but it started in India. Um, a, a, A guy who this man named, oh, actually it started with the Buddha is really how this meditation started. But the Vipassana retreat centers uh, began with a uh, a man named S.N. Goenka. And uh, he was a businessman in India. His parents were Hindu. Um, he actually grew up in Bangladesh, but um, he uh, his heart was in India. And he had a very, very difficult um, life uh, not in poverty, but uh, tremendous responsibility. His his family uh, was uh, they were they were merchants, and he was expected to be um, a super merchant as well. He developed um, uh, a severe case of migraines to the point where he just went all over the place. He went to Switzerland. He saw all kinds of doctors in, in the U.S. He he saw doctors here and there and everywhere, and he ultimately. Um, was sort of forced to come back to India, and then he joined a Vipassana group, he himself did, and was forced to stay in isolation and meditate for 10 days. And at the end of that, on the other side, he was able to uh, see his headaches for what they were outside of himself. He did an out-of-body experience, which is what we do in Vipassana. You get out of sight, outside of your body and you see yourself as separate. And as a result of that, he was able to have more compassion on himself, on his own self, and uh, work his, um, his experience in compassion towards himself on his body. He healed himself. That's the that's the ultimate um, uh, experience of vipassana, seeing yourself compassionately, and then healing yourself from the outside in and then the inside out. Very powerful experience. Um, so that's where I was uh, three and a half years ago. Um, I had actually been writing this book, How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room, <laughs> for twenty something years. I've been writing all kinds of stories. And it just didn't gel until that experience, that Vipassana experience, where I was able to see things from the outside looking in. So very, very transformative for me. And then um, uh, I, I did have a friend um, who uh, ghost wrote books, helped me out. That was the other next step. I had to shell out the money for that and, and the energy and effort um, to actually take that next step. But I had it. I, I had the energy to do that for my Vipassana, my meditative experience. And everybody, the, the, the nice thing about meditation, there's so many different ways to uh, to meditate and to learn meditation. That was just one. And I, I needed the slap in the face of that 10 days. Uh, most people don't need that, I don't think. Or if they do, it's, again, it's transformative. I'm 
very happy to hear that story. I And it was interesting to me when I first heard the title of your book, I didn't see the subtitle, which I'll read in a second, but it was like, I, I was imagining, you know, my, my first impression before I met you and read everything. <laughs> I love what I've read so far was here's a, here's a doctor, you know, who's got an emergency room doctor, you know, frantic energy, busy, you know, saving people's lives, the worst injuries come in the emergency room, these situations. And they're telling me how to stay out. I was going to think it was about like a, a diet guide or something like, you know, and then, and then I read further, you know, it says master your health, the subtitle master your health and find joy in life by balancing the power of your mind, your body and your higher self. I, and I was like, whoa, this is very deep. And I love that the emergency room part kind of brings you in like, oh, is this, you know, how do I, how do I stay out of an emergency room? Right. But then it, it goes to this very, very deep level. And also the thing I, I loved about it was it so far was that it just was really simplifying very uh, possibly difficult subjects for people in a way that was um, very applicable, I guess, in a, in a way, it, in talking about truths that I think are hard truths for people who have had ever had a health problem. And I think we all have, and like you said in the book, we all have habits, destructive habits, and facing that and sort of balancing some of our darker tendencies towards, you know, tendencies that might be able to help us. So um, where to start? So it wasn't traditional advice at all. And in fact, I think you said in the book, this is not another boatload of advice because you were mentioning patients whose families had all given them advice and doctors had all given them advice. And yet they still ended up in your emergency room all of the time with life and death situations, but where some of them were unable to change what they needed to change, which seemed relatively simple, possibly in a medical way to uh, help themselves. And I think those for me, those case studies were, were pointing to um, kind of a microcosm of a situation, but it's something that is universal to people. We are all do we're, we're all doing something or some things, whether it be emotional, relational, physical, um, eating habits, whatever it might be, that we we might think, "Gosh, I sh- I don't think I should be doing that," but we do it anyway. Um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about the philosophy and how you were able to bring that point out about these habits. Well, it started when I went to um, an addiction medicine conference, um, which is actually when the genesis of my book uh, came to be um, over 20 years ago. And it was a, um, especially a, a, a doctor who was from Vietnam who was into traditional Asian uh, philosophy. He, he brought up the yin-yang symbol. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, here's another airy-fairy uh, explanation of, of addiction. <laughs> and it turns out the yin-yang symbol is so relevant. It is like the, the, the most simplified quantum characteristic of behavior. And if you see it, you see everything's in balance and balance on the one side you've got this sort of fish thing fish like or tadpole like uh, creature that is mostly white but with a black dot and the other is upside down is mostly black with a white dot in the middle so you've got those uh opposing forces that are complementary but also um 
they they're separate and um, are against each other. Um, but within each one, there's a little bit of the other. So that to me, and, and he explained this, that to me uh, really solidified the, the balance that we have, the homeostasis that we have in our bodies physically, but also in our emotions. Um, if we're trying to stay in homeostasis with the environment, with others, we have to keep all those elements in, in balance. So what is the, the light? And I don't like to call it black and white because that has little charged overtones. So um, it, it actually really is not black and white. It is light and dark, which every one of us has. We have light and dark within us in balance and in opposition and complementary uh, as well. So very complicated. The whole thing is so complicated. How do we make sense of it? The way we make sense of it is to see that it's there, it exists, and then now what do we do about it? And how do we behave within that framework? So it started way back when, um, at that time, and it's been building in my mind ever since, came to a culmination, um, when I did my Vipassana, when I was able to get outside of myself and see my body as separate from me, and I could see the yin-yang inside of me. I could see those forces. I could see the force of light, which is the yang, and that's moving towards the higher self. The higher self itself is all light. It's all good. It's all health. And then on the other side, you have the yin, which is basically progression towards entropy it's it, these these forces are all they're they're all um uh dynamic so it's not static this is dynamic so yin is entropy and the ultimate yin is in in the universe the physical yin you, if you can see it from a uh cosmic point of view is either a black hole which is the light the star that has co that has collapsed and it's something extraordinarily powerful, but very, very primitive. Like one molecule of something that's, you know, normally okay in a complex system. But if you have, if the entire system is that one molecule, it's extraordinarily destructive. So that's entropy, the ultimate entropy. Or gravity, the ultimate entropy um, in, in a gravitational system. Um, and then on the other side, there's also the antiparticle. So if you think of existence as the particle, and this is this huge, beautiful, fabulous, um, extraordinarily complex particle on this side of the yin yang, the yang, if you can see the ultimate uh, uh, antiparticle um, where existence ceases to exist, it's not just nihilism. There's no existence. It's against existence. It's the exact destruction of existence. So you have those two poles. You've got the higher self, the yang existence, and then you've got the lower self moving towards anti-existence and the collapse of existence, which is a black hole. So it's just this whole range in that one little symbol. I love that. I do Love that explanation. And I, I was always intrigued by that symbol as a child and I used to draw it and I, I found it interesting. And then I, it wasn't until years later when somebody told me about um, the Taoist philosophies and then 
the you know learning about the opposites in life. So what you're saying is not only are these forces here, but uh, there's a representation in each of us. And and I think the way I like to illustrate this to clients would be kind of the term ambivalence. You have one topic, so let's just say, you know, relationships, and you have all of these different feelings, some of which are completely contradictory about this relationship or that relationship or about um, a, a title or about an event. You have different feelings. You have mixed feelings, but not only mixed feelings, but opposite feelings. And um, the yin and the yang are in some way, they're facing opposite ways. And so I, what I'm hearing you saying is understanding that gives you some power to understand what what force am I kind of cultivating right now inside of me? And uh, and noticing that, but in, in a non-defensive way. Because one thing you described in your book was, you know, one of the things that puzzled you about some people that were, that could be easily helped but weren't accepting any medical advice was uh, they were quite defensive. Like they they needed to be correct about something, even in the face of an expert uh, who's trying to help them. Um, they, they felt that they had a right to kind of hurt themselves in a way. Um, and then some of them maybe enjoyed the, the, the sort of like helplessness of going into an ER where you have everything taken care of for you and you are, are finally at rest, right? That we have that, um, you said there was a universal craving for release. Like we all want to just feel like, oh, we're relieved. Right. So it's like when we're, like when we're in the womb, you know, before we're born, everything's done for us, okay? you know, even breathing and eating and waste management. So the, what other place is there besides an emergency room where everyone's taking away your waste and feeding you and making sure you're okay and making sure you're comfortable. And I was just, that was such a good metaphor for me. And then of course, the universal craving of pleasure, which can help us in some ways, but also could get us into real big trouble if we get an addiction to something. So, um, I'm just sort of thinking of some of the points here in your book and, and love, I'd love for you to elaborate on them, but I love so far what I also see it, that you've done is you've, you had a Western medical education as a, as a medical doctor, an MD, and yet you've also integrated a lot of really interesting Eastern philosophies into your understanding of how people work and how health works. So I was actually thinking that was a little bit of a mini, not that they are yin or yang, but just like the balance of those two things. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about, about people and how they experience these two forces, I guess, or something else like that? Um, I think um, the... The slogan I would use is a new awareness of a new reality. Um, and that actually started going through my mind uh, again after I did my Vipassana uh, course. Um, when, when you become newly aware of uh, new uh, parts of reality that have always been there, but you're now newly aware of it, then you see, you see that reality um, in so many things. So people starting out with an understanding of their own uh, higher self and their own lower self and the balance of the two. Um, when you start becoming uh, progressively more aware of those two processes, then you then you can start sorting out which one is 
moving towards your higher self and which is moving towards your your lower self. Um, and, and that's really education. Um, I mean, anybody who's worth their salt is going to, uh, who, who does good work, is is capable of, of teaching or somehow um, uh, passing on some of their knowledge, their wisdom um, to somebody who still needs to learn. And then they can, they can absorb that and then they can start to teach others. That's actually the philosophy of, of the uh, 12-step program. Um, and there's an illustration in the, in the book towards the end. Um, I, I, I so admire uh, the 12-step program and people who go through the 12-step program because what they're doing is they're doing the hard work of learning something completely new and then they're turning around and teaching their bodies and their selves that new process and manifesting it. And then they turn around and they help somebody else out. They teach somebody else. It's this beautiful, lovely um, path into a better place for everybody. So I think that that's really the, that is kind of the, the path that I, I, I hope people uh, start uh, manifesting no matter where they are and, and what they're doing and who they're, who they're uh, working with, whether it's a, a psychotherapist or a physical therapist or anybody who has more wisdom than they do and uh, is teaching them to teach themselves to teach others. That's the path. I like that because it's it's very hopeful, and I, that was something you emphasized in your book was that it doesn't matter how many addictions you have or what is going on in your life or what you think your health prognosis is, you you can learn and master what you're talking about in the book, and you're and 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 you do break it down. And somebody once told me that uh, wisdom was knowledge in action, so Good. you're. You're taking that knowledge, right? But in the thing about your book that I was noticing so far was like, right away, let's apply this. Let's apply this. Let's apply this. It's actually simple. Let's break it down. Let's do this together. There's whole like exercises in there that I was seeing. Um, and I, yeah, because the hard part is, and you were even saying this in, in some of the, the case studies where like these people that were resisting or kind of going towards that yin energy of entropy and death, they they were highly educated, otherwise people, um, but about their own body and their own soul and their own mind, they were almost an enemy of that of themselves in a way. Um, so, I do like the the universal appeal of of what you're what you're teaching because it sounds like you're also you've been applying this in your own life and thus the impetus of writing a book and and sharing it with others. Um, I'd love to know, I know we're, we're totally going to get to a really cool exercise I'm going to have you uh, show us later, but I, I would love to know just, I don't know, a story about maybe something you learned um, after this conference or, or, or an experience you had that helped you um, kind of with the writing of this book and was inspiring to you. Well, um I, I will give one example, and it's one example of many, many, um, and, and it's kind of a, it, it's, it's a negative example uh, where I had to be slapped in the face, um, not literally, but figuratively, uh, by, by a patient and, and his wife um, who came into the emergency room. And uh, we, we, of course, saw a lot of uh, alcoholics 
and this particular alcoholic uh, came in with his wife. Um, he was um, he was in his 30s, his mid 30s, and, and he had kids. Um, so really kind of tragic. Um, uh, I don't recall what his immediate problem was, except that he was drunk, but emerging from his drunkenness, drunkenness um, in, in the ER. Uh, I think he was going through uh, withdrawal. And when I interviewed him, he, he looked me in the eyes and said, I'm drinking because if I don't drink, I'm going to kill my father. So I was shocked. So this, this happened shortly after I did my conference. I thought, wow, this guy's in very deep need of, of some kind of 12-step program. <laughs> um, but I made the big, big mistake of telling his wife what he told me. And she was so shocked, so shocked uh, that she collapsed. Um, and I, at that point, realized how powerful not just my words were, but these ideas, an idea, a thought is extraordinarily powerful and it translates into physical disabilities and, and, and physical uh, whatever you want to call it. On the other hand, it, could, it can transform you into physical strength and physical growth. So habits can be bad, but habits can be good. So again, you've got that balance. You have to just be able to see it. So this poor man had been medicating himself so that anytime he felt the need to murder his dad, uh, he, he thwarted himself, but it was destroying his body. Um, now, I didn't follow up with, with the couple, um, but I, I did check on his chart and I noticed that he didn't come back to the ER. <laughs> so maybe he had joined a 12-step program and maybe the wife had, had joined an Al-Anon program. That's, that's my hope for them. But that, man, that was a slap in the face, not just hearing it from him, how, how the alcohol was helping him in, in one way not do something evil, but on the other hand, my words transmitted to this poor wife just, it, it, it was a shock, an emotional shock that caused her body to physically collapse. So that, that, was, that was one story. And of course, there are multiple, multiple stories of uh, people who, uh, when I make them aware of uh, something, not obviously not as drastic and shocking as that, but good things, good habits that they can get into, or the habits that they're in that are how they're harming them. But now you can turn it around and do this, which is good. You empower them to be good as opposed to disempower them, disempowering them. Like I did that poor wife. I really felt I disempowered her. But if she had gone, if she was going to Al-Anon, she would be again empowered to do good. That's the beauty of awareness of a new reality or of the reality that's always been there is you empower yourself to do what you need to do to do good and move forward with that. So a big part of this work that, you know, you're emphasizing in the book seems to be, I mean, you're using meditation as a tool throughout. I mean, there's meditations in here about overcoming drug and alcohol addiction, overcoming violent tendencies, overcoming uh, pornography or sex addiction and uh, video games, things like that. And I, I really like that because I think in meditation, um, you know, in imagination exercises, which are also in there, 
you are using the power of thought in the mind, which is actually so powerful that it's controlling us all the time. It's automatically controlling us. So it's a matter of, do you have awareness of where your control starts and ends and what decisions you're making? So it's like the new reality, the reality to be awakened to the reality that's always been there you have to have a tool for awareness. And it does seem like imagination and uh, meditation exercises are, are how you're getting there because it allows you to have what they call dual awareness, I believe, or meta-awareness is what I've heard, which is uh, a lot of people think, and this is what I've heard from some meditation teachers, is that before you know how to meditate, you believe you are what your thoughts say. You, you're identified your identity is whatever you think at the time. Um, and then once you've learned to meditate, which any, anyone could learn, and sometimes you can learn in a day or even in, in an hour, right? And you could learn it and, 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 uh, and be able to start doing it. And there's so many different ways to do it that all of a sudden you stop identifying with your, with your just automatic thinking patterns. And then further, like you said, with Vipassana, Vipassana is even, not even identifying with your body. Uh, you know, getting outside of your body and seeing your body for what it is, um, you know, a vessel um, and to take you through life. And if you're able to have a little bit of that objective perspective, perhaps that's when people can see, why do, Why am I doing this thing that's so destructive to myself? Why am I, why do I keep repeating that? Why is that? And answering those tough questions gets be, be, below the surface of everyday talking that we do with other people or every day, maybe talking we do with ourselves. We're going beneath the surface to figure out where is that leading and why, why am I, why am I pushing myself that way? And in that way, then we can self-correct. Um, hopefully, you know, if you're doing these meditations, you will stay out of the emergency room unless you actually accidentally break your leg or something walking around, you know, <laughs> and it's not so self-inflicted. Um, Right. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, I think you explained it very nicely. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I do put a little caveat in there. If uh, I, I, I'm not wanting everybody to stay out of my emergency room. If you want to explore oh. the world, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for for you know, obviously, uh, job uh, preservation. I do like, I, I'm, I'm retired, but for my colleagues, if you want to explore the world and do it in an exuberant way and you make a mistake, you have to have some way that you can go back and keep exploring, but do it a little bit better, a little bit more consciously uh, the next time. So yeah, if you walk around and you break your leg, well, you, then you'd meditate and go, well, why did I break my leg? And do I really want to break my leg again? No, then this is what I need to do. I need to change my way of uh, experiencing the world uh, and, and doing the world. So I don't really, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling people not to uh, explore and and be wild and crazy and and that sort of thing. I am telling people to like like you 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 said to grow from their experiences a better way of experiencing life, uh, and that is what meditation allows you to do. I I go into great detail that meditation is not some airy fairy woo woo stuff that that only yogis do. 
Yes, they do it. Um, but you can do it too. You can be like a yogi for a minute a day. Why not? Why not? Just add that to your experience bag. Um, and it will, when you start doing it, allow you to see things differently and more clearly and more richly. So meditation really is the, um, the fulcrum of, uh, an ability to, to change, not change your mind necessarily. Yes. Change your mind to be better, but, uh, expand your mind. Um, so I think that's, that's really, that, that's, that's the crux of the, uh, of the mind versus body, um, uh, tool toolbox. Yes, um, I, I I love that. I want to add a little caveat uh, to yours, which was also I think I've actually no- I have my own meditation practice, and I've noticed on the days that I meditate in the morning, like I'm supposed to, it it seems that my day goes not always better, but I'm able to respond better to most things that come my way, and I'm looking at problems differently. I'm looking at aggravation or frustration differently. And I can just tell, and I just laugh at myself like around 3 p.m. every day if I'm like, oh, I didn't meditate today. That's what's going on. And then I, and then usually hopefully I'll do it before I go home and, you know, you know, see the family or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I'll do it and I'll learn. Right. But it's, it's making that space and time and there's so many different types of meditation, like in your, you know, in the book, there's guided ones and specific ones. And, and, and there's ways of helping the mind open up to things. There's helping the mind concentrate on things. And then like what you said, the mind, there's a mind body connection too, because we don't even have to go very far on the internet to research mindfulness meditation studies on college students that do 30 minutes or 20 minutes a day and their test scores are up and they're, their uh, hard physical outcomes are better. Their blood pressure is better. Their uh, you know tension levels are lower. I mean, so there's a there's a physical effect that occurs when we sit still. Um, you can even do walking meditations, but intentionally using the mind in that way has wonderful cognitive effects, but also physical effects as well. Um, and that's and, and it's totally now the science in the last 20 years about maybe in the 90s they were studying it as well but really has kind of caught up to say um this works do it i mean it's just as it's as important as exercise honestly i think it should be i I think it's not yet to that level in our society uh but it uh you know we're all emphasizing thanks to our little modern devices ten thousand steps a day says the american heart you know cardiac association whatever and i'm like ah oh, you know falling short but i almost feel like it should be like meditate 20 minutes a day so you're a nice person um i'm i'm joking but <laughs> a little bit but i'm kind of serious um another thing though i wanted to say before we maybe jump into you showing us a little bit about this was i i love that you emphasized all these different parts in your book which is if you can't do it by yourself like some people just have difficulty meditating and learning new things and they feel very overwhelmed and, and um, uh, overwrought. So you emphasize going to groups and, and learning from groups and the process of working together. And I love that. And then I also love that you talk about the caregivers of people that have had uh, physical, mental difficulties. I mean, that is just, I'm, you pretty much, from what I can see, because I haven't read the entire book, but you pretty much hit every every category <laughs> I can think of 
uh, which is why I'm, I, I love that uh, this book exists. It's such an interesting look, especially I love that you're a medical doctor writing about all these higher ways of, of helping the self, and you're very encouraging. Um, yeah, any comments on anything with that? Um, yeah, so um, if, if, you're, if you're the kind of person who is self-contained, and the way I see that is you're like the yin-yang symbol, you're encapsulated, everything that t- comes from you is from you. Um, you absorb very little from the outside, or what you do absorb, you take inside, and then you grow from it. You grow, grow, grow. There's no like leakiness outside. <laughs> um, uh, so that's that's one, I guess, type of person, personality, is they're completely enclosed. Um, then there's, or not completely, but you know, they, they, they take in and they absorb and, and then they do their own work internally. Then there are people, um, as you mentioned, who can't do it by themselves. They need to absorb the goodness from outside of them and they need to take it in and be like enveloped, like almost like a, a big overcoat, a big, beautiful overcoat that helps them um, uh, be shaped from the outside in. Um, and they're the ones who, when they hit rock bottom, and they have to hit rock bottom, a lot of us, they seek out something that is better and bigger than themselves, and they enter that space, and they will grow from it. Now, that can take, that takes a lot of courage. That's, again, what 12-step programs uh, uh, do. you got a whole bunch of people who are just like you. If you're an alcoholic or an addict of some of any sort, you got yourself a bunch of addicts around you, and if you try to pull the wool over their eyes. It's like, ah, that's a no, that's a no go. Sorry. Uh, no pity fishing here. Um, you got to do the hard work because we're all doing the hard work. So that's the coat in an environment that really encourages you to just do your work, do it. If you hit rock bottom, you've got a lot of work to do to, to climb up that ladder, but it's always, it's always incremental wherever you are you just have to do a little bit. You got to push yourself a little bit or the outside, the coat has to, has to tell you, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. And all that's where the affirmations come in. You can do this. You backslide one, then you go forward two. backslide another one, go forward two. that's it's, it's this process of, of knowing that you don't have to do it all at once. You're not God. <laughs> if you were God, you'd be, you wouldn't be physical. <laughs> um, you're just you. So just, Get to know who you are. If you're an encapsulated one, internalized person, meditation will help you do it all by yourself. If you're, if you need more help from the outside, which is most of us, I mean, who's completely encapsulated? I don't know. I'm not. Then, then you need some some higher wisdom that from somebody else who's been there, done that, and they can help you move forward and move forward. So it's this understanding yourself, knowing yourself, knowing how things work in your own head and then you can translate into your own body. That is wonderful. I I think one of the things I'm admiring about you is your ability to take these massively large philosophical concepts and boil them down. So they're, I don't know, achievable by, you know, your average person. I, I think that this is, this is very good, very good wisdom. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited for people to kind of explore and learn more 
uh, you know, on their own, obviously, this is a commitment to stay out of your emergency room unless I have an accident. I do have to do some work. There's some work involved, but it's 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 something that's gratifying and it and it brings you out of these can bring you out of these downward spirals and cycles. So um I'd love for you you mentioned earlier sharing this higher self meditation and I would love uh for the listeners to hear that. The higher self is Whoever you are, wherever wherever you are, there's something that you can aspire to within yourself. It's it's your own personal higher self. So, um, on, in my book, um, the uh, meditation number two, um, in chapter six, I believe it's chapter six. Um, anyway, um, yes, uh, no, sorry, it's chapter seven. Um, meditation number two is find and connect to your higher self. Um, so that's on page 160. I'll, I'll just read what I wrote here. Um, yeah, let me read the intro to finding your higher self. Keep in mind that keep in your mind. Remember your mind is not your brain. Your brain's physical. Your mind is separate from your brain and your mind is what you're now, uh, uh, educating and, um, expanding on. Uh, so in this meditation, you're going to find and clarify the meaning of your higher self. Um, everyone has a higher self, though they may call it by different names. The higher self, which you may simply call conscience, makes demands of you and others. It demands that you respect the rights of others and shoulder responsibility for your own behavior. The higher self is not in any power play over others. It is not mean-spirited, vindictive, complaining, irresponsible, lazy, violent, destructive, or ungrateful. It is courageous and humble at the same time. It is kind-spirited, decent, hardworking, uncomplaining, forgiving, and grateful for the good in the world. This meditation includes clarifying the higher self, not just in yourself, but in others as well, the people who have shaped you over your lifetime. It will help you go past any false images you have of the higher self, which have caused you to rebel against it. All right, um, overcoming false images. Indeed, it is absolutely vital to remember that your higher self is not the voices and images of authority you rebelled against, not the unhelpful images which came from unwise or in, even indecent behaviors from parents, preachers, religious institutions, overbearing teachers, friends, relatives, or others exercising poor judgment. If you look, you will find images of your higher self which shaped you to be better less mean, less lazy, less ungrateful, or less arrogant. If the voices of well-meaning parents, friends, preachers, institutions, teachers, or others helped you move forward and be a better you, meditate on those voices as well. So again, with this meditation, you're, what you're going to want to do is keep the good, the higher existence in your meditative mind, and that's what you're going to move towards. Um, okay, in the last paragraph, your true higher self is only pure and true. It is pure yang. It is pure good. Your true higher self has always made you happy because it has always been beautiful. You can always trust your higher self because your higher self was and is ready to guide you on the right course no matter what. It has always been perfect and indestructible, a pure bright light in any darkness. Let's find it. All right, so here's your meditation. Go to sit in your safe meditation spot. 
Get comfortable and relaxed. Take a deep, cleansing breath. Then let your breathing fall into your gentle meditative rhythm. Take your time. Begin, as always, by clearing your mind and focusing on your breathing. This time, however, be sure to close your eyes. Now imagine that you are floating weightless, but safe in the darkness of outer space. You need no spacesuit. It is warm and dark and strangely beautiful, floating in all that darkness. When you are ready, see that in the darkness in that there is a distant bright light floating like a star. Focus on this light. Notice gently and happily that this light is immovable. It is constant. It has been burning there forever. It is a pure bright light. Now imagine yourself gently flying through the darkness of space, slowly but directly toward this light. The light gets larger and larger and larger as you move closer. You realize that this is your very own higher self waiting for you. You move closer and closer until the light takes up your entire peripheral vision as if filling all of space. You move gently, joyfully, right inside the light. You float completely bathed in the bright light. It is all around you. It is everywhere. You see nothing but the bright light. Feel the goodness of the light. Feel its tremendous purpose, its strength, its indestructibility, its energy, its wisdom, its truth, its guidance. Bathe in the joy of that pure goodness. Now feel the light from your higher self gently flow into you. The pure bright light slowly fills your head, your neck, your chest. It flows out along your arms, your hands, your fingers, then down into your torso, your pelvis, your legs, your feet, your toes. You are entirely filled with light. It has entirely pushed back any darkness within you. You are in the light. Your body is filled with light. Everything is light. You feel incredibly happy and strong. You feel indescribable joy because you are filled with the light and truth of your very own higher self. Relax and just enjoy this moment. Give yourself over to it. When you can no longer sustain the vision, let it fade. When you are ready to finish your meditation, take a deep cleansing breath in and out. Sit for a time as you readjust to regular consciousness. As you leave your meditation place and forever after, remember how great it felt to be completely immersed in your higher self. Remember this moment when you need to remember it. Find and connect to your higher self as often as you like, every day if you wish. Who wouldn't want to repeat this incredible experience? And I really am excited for listeners because now if they want to do this meditation, they can just bookmark that part and go back to it. Um, you have a very good reading voice as well. Oh, I, I think that's very easy. I was trying to think, I was <laughs> I was fighting myself between doing the meditation and thinking about <laughs> what to ask you about next. But I, I, I love that meditation and the higher self I, I felt there was a connection between the higher self and light. Can you tell us a little bit about 
that and how that could maybe help us? Because I, I felt helped, but I kind of want to hear what your connection was because uh, you talked about that with the uh, with the yang energy. So the higher self and and the light that it implies um, and actually manifests um, is your starting point. If you can start from a point of of goodness, of goodness power, you are empowering yourself to be good. And if it's light, it can shine light on all the other parts of you. Uh, It's frightening, very frightening to think that there are bad parts of you that there's some parts of yourselves that are so of yourself that is so horrible, like that poor alcoholic who said if he didn't drink, he'd murder his dad. It's just so frightening um, to, to know that there's to be aware with this new awareness that there are bad parts of you. It's, it's critical to have yourself grounded solidly in your good self and then you can separate from your bad self and then you can look at it objectively without getting freaked out by it and then manage it because we all have it. We all have it. We're all managing it on a regular basis, especially if we're doing the hard work of trying to be decent to each other and, and all the good things. Um, we know that when we sink into something that's indecent, um, uh, we want to do something this gives you the power and, and the tool to actually do something from a position of goodness and light. And then, you know, you can use the metaphor of shining light on, on dark places. Okay, you got dark places that everybody does, you know. Let's talk about biology. You've got dark places between your legs, you know. Do you want to expose that to everybody from the waist down, you know? Um, who, who, who wants to see that? Well, if you are in touch with your body, you need to see that. Yes, you need to go to the bathroom every now and then you need to do certain things to uh excrete waste right uh the same goes with your psyche there's some psychological parts of you that are the equivalent of what's between your legs you need to know you're human that's part of being human and being able to shine light on that in a very objective calm and you know good way uh is is good <laughs> i like lack that. Of a better word it's good yeah I, well i well it was interesting when i was meditating for part of it i was feeling like myself enveloped in light and i was like and it made me like you said manifest it made me feel better and then i was thinking positive things it's just like it's like so i think humans we go around all day and especially modern humans with all the media and distractions you don't know what you're dwelling on until you can see it for what it is objectively. And and I think some way, when you meditate, all of a sudden you realize what you've been thinking all day. And you realize what you would like to be thinking about um, in opposition. It's like you don't know it until the exposure is there. But there's a lot of, a lot of psychology in there about, you know, being human. If you're human and you don't have humility, you're in trouble because you're missing a whole, like the dark parts of ourselves that we have to be able to look at. We have to be able to examine. We have to be able to acknowledge because a lot, I think there's, you know, like you said, there's some people, we don't want to look at that. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that we have a destructive tendency or an anger or a hatred or something. But if we look at that 
And we can look at it with compassion from the light perspective that is just part of us. I do believe this corresponds exactly with the um, the psychological work we've been doing with trauma, which is the that the major symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder, one of the major symptoms is avoidance. And the more you try to avoid the thoughts of the traumatic experience, the more they intrude your dreams, they intrude randomly throughout the day, uh, they cause physical tension in the body. Um, and, and, and once you can finally use a tool in trauma-informed therapy or other, there's other doctor-assisted therapies as well, like with uh, medications, when you can finally address it, um, when you finally look at it a few times with the help of somebody, you, all of a sudden, all of that dark energy just dissipates. People feel better. They feel lighter. They can sleep at night. They aren't having strange, random, intrusive thoughts that are coming in. And so it just reminds me about that's part of the balance of the yin and the yang, which is uh, if if you had a bad thing happen to you or you did a bad thing, you don't want to think about it. But if you do think about it and you have that objectivity to, to do it through the meditation that you just showed us, um, one of them, there's many. Um, you bring a gentleness to it, it allows yourself to balance out and reach that homeostasis. I think that's kind of kind of my take on what I was hearing. Yeah, and let me just add a little bit. Um, the word you use is intrusion, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a very important uh, concept. There is something intruding into your everyday homeostasis, your everyday bal- balance. Um, uh, and when you meditate... You're not in your body, you're in your mind. Um, And if you can, again, see that objectively, you can see there's actually something intruding. It's, it's, it's almost visceral. It's, it's something that's entering, entering your, your, your space and uh, destabilizing it. Um, To me, that actually became pretty uh, um, visceral in a, in, in a physical way, when, when I did Vipassana, um, uh, uh, day four, you do the actual Vipassana, um, uh, where you have that out-of-body experience. And um, the, the first few days are, are just getting comfortable in your body and, and then focusing just on your breath, um, just to, so you can get rid of all the extraneous uh, physical uh, world. You just focus on the physical breath. But then on day four, you actually enter into your out-of-body experience, which is fabulous and scary. Um, so for me, what intruded when I was able to step out of my body and do the the the, the body um, review from top to bottom and bottom to top, what I saw, and again, you can read it in my Vipassana experience, freaked the heck out of me. Because <laughs> finally I was seeing what I had been experience throughout my life, I, I saw myself as being a, a, a big cat. I know this is going to sound really weird, but <laughs> I'm just telling you like it is. I saw myself throughout my life, uh, whenever I wanted to protect myself, I became this, this cat, you know, and maybe it was a lion or whatever it was, or tiger. Actually, it wasn't ever a lion. It was some smaller, some smaller, but equally vicious cat where I was trying to protect myself in retrospect, I realized I was in some character of myself that I was trying to protect myself, um, you know, from outside harm. 
And it was very helpful, very, very helpful when it actually came up throughout my life. But then with Vipassana, my body became this bobcat. It was, and, and literally I was, I was sitting inside this creature, which had pointy ears and short hair and, and claws. And I, I, it, it freaked me out. Kind of like, like the wife of that woman who, whose um, husband wanted to murder his dad. It's like the, the shock was just almost unbearable. Luckily during that time, in Vipassana, it was it was November. It was around. Uh, it was uh, during the uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and luckily it was very cold and, and windy outside. I, I went to the Twenty Nine Pine Palms Vipassana Center, which is the high desert, and there was a dust storm, which happens frequently. So right after that meditation, there was a dust storm that kicked up, and I went outside. I I, I needed to like outgas this horrible realization that I, one of my characters is a bobcat, which I knew all along, but there it was. Okay. <laughs> Manifested. And then this, this dust storm came through and I felt you know, all this dust stinging my face and my, my body. And at the end of it, I felt, Oh, I'm cleansed. Mm. That is so weird. Why did this happen to me? I, I don't know why the dust storm kicked up at that moment. Maybe who knows, but I was cleansed of that image. And I haven't had that dream since then. <laughs> I was a cat trying to protect myself. I was intrinsically protected. I didn't need to be a bobcat anymore. I needed to be me, a stronger and better me. I, I think I think the audience will find that very intriguing because one of the most deep, the deepest work we can do as humans isn't language work. It's, it's metaphorical and it's symbolic. And I think by getting into that meditation state, you all of a sudden saw a truth through metaphor of of the animal, and you realized you didn't need it. You didn't need, you know. It's like we all we all want to feel safe and protected, and so we put on all these, you know, personas or or even you know metaphorical like like a cat, like a, a scratching cat, to to protect ourselves. And I I love that you had that experience and that you shared that because these sort of I don't know, experiences can enliven us um, as well to to find, to really get out of all these patterns we've been in and that we feel trapped in, right? We could talk about these patterns all day. I, I do this, I do that. Why does this happen? When this person says this, I get up. And it's like, we, we want to figure it out like a math problem, but we can't. You You have to figure it out within yourself. And I, I love that. I mean, meditation is a tool, even if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, obviously, I would say get the book and read some of the ones to get started or do some basic things. But even if you don't know what you're doing and you do meditation every day for 15 to 20 minutes, you're going to start understanding yourself. And that's the beauty of it. Um, uh, and doing these sort of practices. And what you did, of course, is you went to an actual retreat center where there's some more guidance and some more information. And then uh, we're open to experiences because let's just say you had gone to a steakhouse in 29 Palms and watched a football game and had a few brewskis and then went out to your car and here comes the windstorm and you're cursing it. Ah, stupid wind, right? Versus going to the meditation center, you have this experience. All of a sudden the windstorm comes and it means something to you. It cleanses you of this problem. And all of a sudden you have more feeling of confidence in yourself that you can just be yourself. And, and so 
that's I, I think in mental health and 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 medical well especially in my field in the mental health field which your book does deal a, a lot with mental health and the psyche and how that manifests physically um people always think it's this big mystery but a lot of the mystery is actually just having experiences and knowing that you're having experiences and so uh, if you're out there and you need guidance, definitely, you know, see a doctor who's open to the things that Dr. Balog's talking about or a psychologist or whoever it is that is open to um, meditation and types of uh, these types of practices. Um, be, but if not, if you're if you don't need that guidance, grab the book, grab some meditation tools and you can start learning about yourself. And I think that's called doing the inner work. If we do the inner work, it's not like life becomes easier, uh, you know, empirically or something like that, but it, it becomes interesting and meaningful and certain things that were causing us such stress and duress, we realize actually weren't a big deal at all. And there's a lot of freedom in that. But you can't get there usually just by thinking about it from this podcast. You have to actually have the experience. That's that's the tough part. But I mean, I'm it's it doesn't take much time. It just like I said, my yoga teacher used to say, the hard part about yoga is not yoga. It's getting here and sitting on your mat is the hard part. Traffic, making the plans, <laughs> pay, paying the fee, whatever. <laughs> you know, getting on your shorts, all, all that's the tough part. Once you get here, it's good, you know? So anyway, it's my little tangent. I was just in 29 Palms, oddly enough, like last in April. So I was just, I was seeing what you were seeing, the Joshua trees. It's right near the Joshua tree forest. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to keep talking to you most of the day, but what are some, anything you want to tell the listeners um, that maybe some any sort of listener that might be listening is there anything you would like to say to to people that may be interested in your book or your work or or meditation in general um okay well um my book does give you pretty solid um uh, a pretty solid path for uh understanding yourself uh through meditation um and various methods of, of mind work um yeah mindfulness i guess is a is a big buzzword. When you're mindful, you have a fullness of mind, um, as opposed to, I guess, um, physicalness. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a completely different and separate pathway, but it does affect the, the, the physical. So, um, yeah, my, my book does, uh, delineate how to get into that, that mindful state. Um, that, being said, though, anybody can be now more aware after having listened to, to your podcast, um, be more aware of the power of your mind. It's not just sitting there waiting patiently. It's actually manifesting your life all the time. Um, and when you start becoming more mindful, <laughs> not just physically aware of it, I don't know how you can become physically aware of your mind. I really don't. But I do know you can become mindfully aware of your physical state. So the mind is actually a higher uh, state than, than your physical body. Um, and so becoming mindful 
is the next step after you have understood your physical self. Um, uh, however you get there, I think that's that's really um, the uh, message of this um, of my book and of what you know people like you do with with mindfulness therapy. Well, that's that's great. I love that summary. Um, and just for the listeners, I'm going to be having the links to Doctor uh, Mona Blog's uh, website and book in the show notes and so you'll be able to um have that accessible and uh, i want to just thank you so much for not only answering questions and telling us about your experience but uh leading the meditation i thought that was awesome i, I really appreciate that okay you're welcome and i can't thank you enough for coming on this show and sharing some of your wisdom with us i appreciate it you're welcome Warm and cold and warm and cold Fever, you got fever Been retired for taking care of that same And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast with your host, Paul Krauss, licensed professional counselor. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Mona Balog today. And if you're so inclined, check out her website, which will be in the show notes, monabalog.com, and check out her cool book. It is so awesome, How to Stay Out of My Emergency Room. And I really do think she has a unique stance and philosophy to take uh, on this Eastern uh, philosophy mixing with her Western medicine expertise. So definitely something to check out. As I said, this book is full of application. It's just half of the book is just how to do things and um, little exercises. So very cool stuff. Obviously an amazingly wise person. And I really appreciate her coming on the show. And uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, I just released my first online course for the parents of young adults. That will be in the show notes, the link to that, and you can actually preview the course. You can watch some of the modules, and you can watch my introduction video, and right now it's on sale on Udemy.com. And as I previously mentioned, I am an Emdria consultant in training, and hopefully by the end of the summer, I will be an EMDRIA consultant completely. I'm right now partnered with EMDR Training Solutions as I hope to facilitate for them someday and train other clinicians in that way outside of being a consultant. And right now, if you register for their course, as I said, from what I've seen by reviewing about seven or eight other programs, including the official institute ones, theirs is still the most affordable at $13.50. So that price probably won't stay the same forever, but check it out. And if you do, please use the code intentional, which will help out this podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with somebody you know. I would surely appreciate it. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. If you are looking for an Emdria consultant, I am still an Emdria consultant in training and can provide 15 of the 20 hours needed to become Emdria certified. Right now, I have two Emdria consultation groups going on online. For details, check out counselingsupervisorgr.com or healthforlifegr.com or just send me an email. 
If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Kraust and his guest, and while these are based upon literature and experience in their respective fields, these opinions should not be viewed as the definitive opinion or truth on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in a crisis, please dial 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Just text Steve, that's S-T-E-V-E, to 741741, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. And whatever you're going through, help is available. It just doesn't seem like it when you're in the middle of a very difficult situation. And finally, remember, bookshop.org, www.bookshop.org means you can order online from the comfort of your own home or office while supporting a local bookstore near you, which is pretty awesome. If you're a therapist and you're not involved in your professional association, please consider joining one now. I mean, think about it. It's not that much money a year, and they will help lobby for best practices in the state you live in to make sure that your license doesn't go away to make sure that uh, best practices are upheld in the state increasing education among the populace and i mean i can just tell you right now i've lived in many states and both michigan and arizona have had crises with the state boards due to counselors not being involved in their local organizations and not knowing what was going on with their own licensure and It's very important for the public that we are able to maintain proper licensure. And I know this gets into boring bureaucracy and politics, but honestly, if you aren't going to show up, who is going to show up? Because a lot of the leaders that helped establish these licensure are basically retired right now. So we need anyone and everyone to join the professional organizations and get involved. All right. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 